You can turn in your Bibles over to Second Chronicles chapter 15. We ended our series last week on wisdom. We're starting not really a new series. I was just going to do this on one Sunday, but it looks like we'll probably overflow it into two, uh, two or so. But over in Second Chronicles 15, we're talking about a heart condition. Many people have heart conditions, and usually that doesn't mean a good thing. <laughs> but we can have a heart condition that is a good thing. There is a story that was said, you know it's a bad church business meeting when, <laughs> number one, when people arrive at the meeting clutching copies of books about spiritual abuse. Yeah, that would be a bad business meeting, wouldn't it? Uh, you're asked to try on a pair of bloody gloves. That would be a bad business meeting right there. A loyal supporter press, uh, presses a can of mace into your hands. A church constitution suddenly becomes revered as the most important legal document since, since the Magna Carta. The 60 Minutes crew is there to film it. <laughs> Your neighbors hear about the meeting on their police scanner. And here's my favorite one. A little blue-haired lady who's in charge of the nursery pounds the lectern with her shoe and screams, We will bury you! And the last one, people begin to refer to you as our former pastor. <laughs> that would be a bad business meeting. <laughs> well, certainly in the church, we can see that people's hearts can go from a place that is good to a place that is bad. <laughs> and uh, in many churches, church business meetings is a place that you see that. You can see all sorts of things come out. But sometimes we have been focusing on the wrong thing. When it comes to what God wants us to do and what God wants us to develop and how God wants us to move along. We're going to um, refer here to one particular verse in this, but we want to take a look at this man's, uh, not his whole life, but uh, a good part of it. And that is, how many remember the King Asa? He's a good king. I think there's a song, something like that, Good King Asa, something like that. But in, in verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, we've talked a lot about the if-then things in the Word of God. Here is certainly one. If you will do this, then God will do this. There are many things in the Word of God that God says, If you do this, I'll do this, and people think that God should do it anyway. But it's an if, if thing. If you do this, I will do that. God is under no obligation to do it until you do this. You can ask him. You can beg him. You can uh, fall on his mercy and all this. He says, if you do this, I'll do that. If you don't do it, well, he's not going to. For a long time, Israel has been without a true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. This is what the word from the prophet. For a long time... Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. He lists three things here that they were without. First off, they were without the true God. They were not worshiping the true God. They made, there are many people who worship God in heaven, but they are not worshiping, worshiping the true God. They worship a God of works. They worship a God of this and that or whatever it is they want. They make the God be what they want it to be. And that's not the God. If we're going to worship the God in heaven, we need to find out what the Word of God says about him. And that's who he is. 
For a long time, Israel has been without the true God. That's the first thing he says. The second thing was a teaching priest. They were without people to teach them. If people were not teaching them what to do, then what happens was everybody would do what was right in his own eyes. And that's a, that's a bad picture that the Word of God paints for us. There is a true God they need. They needed a teaching priest. And they were without law. Now, they had the law. The law was there, but they're not abiding by it. Or they've just decided there's certain parts of the law we don't need to abide by. We don't like that part. We don't like this sort of thing. And, and there, so they, they get without it. Now, how do these things pertain to our life? First off, do we have the true God or one of our own liking? Too many times people have a God of their own liking. This is the God I like to serve. I want to serve a God who's uh, nice to everybody, who uh, does good things, and well, they just come up with stuff. And they, they have their own definition of what nice is and what good things are, and it may not be what God's things are. Do we have, a, have the true God or one of our own liking? Do we have teachers or do we have itchers? Do we have people that would teach us the Word of God or do we have people that just itch us where we, where we want to be itched? Well, I don't like that kind of teaching. I want to go over here to this one. That, that's better. I like that better. No, I don't like that. Enough teaching on that sort of thing. Let's move over here to this thing. And do we have God's law or our own? I don't know how many times I've heard Christians, people who go to church, every, not certainly this church, you know, other churches in other countries when I hear them talk. But they, they go around and talk about, well, uh, I don't think God really means for me to do that. I don't really think that's what God means. Well, that's the, what the Word of God says. Yeah, I know that, but I don't think that's really what He wants me to do. I think He wants me to do this. <laughs> okay. We don't have God's law. We have a law of our own making. We've got to have God's law. If you do that, you are people without law. The prophet listed three things that were off for these people. They were not serving the true God. They did not have a teaching priest. And they did not have God's law. Does that describe some people today? Again, other people and other churches and other countries, parts of the world. Not us, right? <laughs> we got to make sure that we come back to that and, and, and look at this and make sure. Do, am I serving the God or am I serving a God of my liking? Do I have the law or have I changed it? Because I don't like that part of the law. We got to make sure that we, we do what God says. Am I having teachers who teach the word of God? Or just people who just uh, took on my funny bone, so to speak. Verse 4. But when in their trouble, they turn to the Lord God of Israel. How many people know Christians like that? As soon as they get in trouble, what do they do? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, help me out. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, please help me. But when in their trouble, they turn to the Lord. Just know this is not a new phenomenon. This is going back on in, into the Old Testament. God had to deal with people back then. Same problem. If God has been dealing with it for thousands of years, you can endure a couple of decades. <laughs> you just get in there and be patient with them. But when in their trouble, they turn to the Lord God of Israel. And he said, I'm tired of you. No, he was found by them. He was found by them. God did not hide. He did not hide. Now, you might want to hide from your kids sometime or from your neighbors sometime. When they get into trouble, they come calling you. You might want to hide. God doesn't hide. He says, no, I'm here when you're in trouble. I wish you'd come to me when you're not in trouble, but when you're in trouble, yeah, you can come here. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil, turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. 
Now, again, they saw God doing it if God didn't stop it. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak. Speaking to who? Speaking to the king. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak. There have been times, folks, as Christians, we have let ourselves be weak and blamed it on God. And the word of God comes to the king and says, you be strong. Sounds like it's on your shoulders, not God's. If you're going to be strong, it's on your shoulders. Don't be sitting there and blaming God. Oh, God, I'm so weak. Oh, God. It's... No. He says, be strong. You be strong. And do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Have you ever worked for God and thought, this is not being rewarded? Asa may have been thinking that at this, at this point in his life. He may be getting a little discouraged, and God says, don't you let your work be discouraged. You keep on going. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Odeb, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable, abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. So he was good before and he got stronger and he went out and did even more. He was not afraid of what the people were going to say because you're taking away some things that people like. There's some things that they, uh, they kind of like in there. And they don't want to see that go away. And he took courage and he did it. But God came along and he encouraged Asa. He said some good things to him. He encouraged him. I put this in your outline here for you. People do more when they are encouraged. People do more when they are encouraged instead of commanded or rebuked. Too often we like to command and rebuke people. Thank you for your last time calling a customer service representative. <laughs> were you encouraging or were you commanding and rebuking? <laughs> Where were you at? <laughs> you can get a lot more done if you are encouraging to those people because they're in a position of power. You are not. They can turn things off. They can charge your card. They can do all kinds of things. You are not in a position of power. They are. Encourage them. But I don't want to. But God does this with us, and we need to do it with other Christians as well. Look for opportunities to encourage. Don't just command and rebuke. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord was with him. Well, there's all the parts of Israel. And they saw how God was blessing Asa and how God was with him. And they came over because they were serving God. And the places where they were at were not serving God. So they came over. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year, the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at the time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. What do you think the animal rights group might think about that? That's a lot of bulls dying and a lot of sheep going by the wayside. There's a lot of blood out there. They probably wouldn't like that too much. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Now, just because this is in the Word of God doesn't mean this is how you should behave. This is in there. This is what they did. But this, God does not put people to death because they don't worship Him. That's not one of the things He does. He just, he's, he's not out there to do it. It might be you know, real zealous on your part, but God's kind of like, you know what? Just If they don't want to serve me, fine. 
they reap the repercussions of it. So we don't go around putting anybody to death because they don't worship God. That's just not the thing to do. Uh, it's what they did. It's what a religious society does. And so they did a lot of good things, but understand there are some things they did that were not good. This was one of them. Remember before we looked at Solomon? Solomon did some things that were good, but he did some things that were not so good. And God still blessed them. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice. Because everything, you know, if you do it with a loud voice, it's, it's, it's uh, stronger. <laughs> with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their hearts and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. So the turmoil they were having went away. And they were glad. They came to God. They sought him. They found him. And he removed Makkah, the mother of Asa, the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. So even his mom was not exempt. He was getting bold. Mom, you missed it. You did something wrong. We're removing you from being queen. You are out. (laughs) I don't know if they put her out of the country or or, or not, but um, she's out. She's no longer queen mother. But she had made an uh, obscene image of Asherah, and Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed her and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Now, we've heard about that before. The high places were not removed from Israel. Again, they're serving God where it's convenient and not where God told them. We saw that before with with Solomon. He came to the high place, the great high place, and he did the sacrifices. But uh, afterwards, after God spoke to him, he went down to where he was supposed to be and he made the sacrifice there. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Now, here's what we want to look at. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. If you have a King James Version, it uses the word perfect, that his heart was perfect all his days. Now, he's doing some things that he shouldn't do, putting people to death because they're not going to worship God. That's not necessarily something they should do. He's worshiping on the the high places are still going on. But God says, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. All his days. How many is all? Every one of them. Every one. I want you to keep that in mind. Because the word of God says that the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. If we really got the message of what was going on here, it would change our view of how we walked and what we worked at developing. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated, that he himself had dedicated silver, gold, and utensils, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So again, the high places were not removed. Some things were not done in the land that should have been done. Some things were not done, but attitudes were maintained. Attitudes were maintained. God is actually more concerned with attitudes than things. But too often we become focused on things and forget about the attitudes, at least with God. Think of it this way. When your kids were little, they're growing up, or if they are little, and if you were asking them five times in the day to take the trash down to the curb, and five times you see the trash is not down at the curb, you can get a little upset because things are not being done, right? So if you finally say, that's it, get that trash down to the curb, Now, and they say, fine, I'll do it. 
And they march out of the house, slam the door, take the trash down to the curb, and then come on back in, slam the door again, and march out to the room and slam the door again. Is the situation fixed? No. But the things were done, right? The things got done. What's the problem now? The attitude. You see, when we are dealing with our kids, we are more focused on the attitude, but we think that God is more focused on the things. Because we're looking at, but God, I did this, and God, I did this, and God, I've done this, and God, I've done this. How come you haven't done this? And what's God's response? And your attitude's wrong. You got a wrong attitude. Now, the Word of God tells us, Brother Hagin used to use this in his story. I've heard it a number of times. I'm sure you have too. When he was out there on the road, left the church that he was pastoring because God told him to leave. And he's out there on the road, did what he's supposed to do. God told him to leave, didn't want to leave, but he left. He's out there on the road. Things are not going well. Finances are not going well. And he's got down on his knees and he wanted to get this thing worked out and fixed up. And so he said, uh, Lord, and he brought up that scripture to him. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. He said, I'm not eating the good of the land. My kids are without this and we don't have food and we don't have gas for the car. And he went on his list and, and he said, but I did what you said. And up in his spirit came the words from God. Yeah, but you don't qualify. What do you mean I don't qualify? I did. I left that church. I'm out here on the road. It's hard, but I'm out here on the road. He says, you don't qualify. You're not willing. He says, don't, he says, don't let anybody tell you it takes weeks to get willing. I got willing in minutes. <laughs> he corrected that attitude on the inside. He got willing, and things changed for him. God is more concerned about attitudes than he is things. And we keep pointing to things. God keeps pointing to attitudes. He looks at the heart. Now, that word there for loyal or perfect, if you have a King James... It means full, just, made ready, peaceable, perfect, quiet. It's actually used in one place as a name and whole. That's really kind of all over the board, isn't it? So out of all the places where this is used, I pulled out some references, and I had absolutely no room to put this in your outline. If you want to follow along, you can. I'm just going to read them real quick. You can put them up on the screen if you want to, but you don't feel like you have to because I'm not waiting. <laughs> We're just going to read these things through. I just wanted to get an idea of what this word is, is doing. In Deuteronomy 25 and verse 15, you shall have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just measure. So it's talking about in the area of weights and measures that your, your weights and your measures will be perfect. In other words, they will be fair. They will be just. You, what you say is a pound is a pound. In, in um, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 61, Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in His statutes and keep His commandments as at this day. 1 Kings 11, 4, For so it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord. There's that word, loyal. To the Lord his God, as, as was the heart of his father David. Now again, we see David has said his heart was loyal. Were David's actions right? There were many times David's actions were wrong, but his heart is called loyal. You can have a perfect heart, and it can be in an imperfect person. Perfect hearts can go into imperfect people. We tend to look at the imperfections of the people and judge that the heart is not perfect. 1 Kings 15, verse 1. 
In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. Now, if he reigned three years, how good do you think he was? His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in the sins of his father, what he had done before him. His, his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing, establishing Jerusalem. So his heart was not loyal. Second Kings 20 and verse 1, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. The, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart. And I've done what is good in your sight. Now, we've gone over the story with Hezekiah. There were some things he did that he should not have done. And that's why he's in the position that he was. But what he calls attention to is his heart. What a smart man he was. He calls his attention to his heart. God, look at my heart. All right, my actions. I may have done some things that weren't quite right, but look at my heart. And God says, all right, he, he hit the nail on the head here. You're going back there and you tell him he's got some more years. First Chronicles 12, verse 38. All these men of war who could keep ranks, came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over Israel. And the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. In First Chronicles 28, verse 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. That's a good thing to team up. If you've got a loyal heart and a willing mind, you are in good shape. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of your thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. First Chronicles 29 verse 9. Then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David rejoiced greatly. In Second Chronicles 8 verse 6. 16. Now all the work of Solomon was well ordered from the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished. So the house of the Lord was complete. The word there for complete is our same word. It was finished. In Second Chronicles 25, 1 through 2, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadim of Jerusalem and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord but not... With a loyal heart. He did what was right, but not with a loyal heart. What's important is the heart. Actions are also important, but what is more important is the heart. If you get the heart right, you will eventually get the actions to line up. If your heart is not right, your actions may start out okay, but they will turn bad. In Proverbs 11, verse 1, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just, but a just weight is his delight. Now, that we finish all of uh, Chronicles 15? All right. Just want to make sure I finished finish all that. I want to go on to chapter 16 here. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah. Then he might, that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me 
as there was between my father and your father. Here I have sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. The king, then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had built for building, and with them he built Geba and Mitzpah. Now here's a solution to a problem. I'll tell you what, there are some folks in our country who would love the solution because you have the potential for war, and Asa comes up with a solution that avoids war entirely. Nobody dies. Nobody has to die. We have a, a big situation going on and no war is, happens and everybody goes home and we might think that's a real good thing but God's not very happy with it he was not pleased but you have a war with no bloodshed the way was successful we wanted to get Basha from away from uh, messing with Israel and so Basha went away and uh, beside that they got all kinds of stuff they got all that all that building material they were using to build Raman they built up some other cities instead and so it was, it was, some good results came of it. Just because good results come does not mean God's happy. You can get some good results, but it doesn't mean that God's happy with it. In Second Chronicles, verse, uh, verse 7, we're going to pick up where we were left off. And at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. See, sometimes the enemy sets things up and God says, all right, if you want to do that, you're going to lose it. And so the enemy set up this to, uh, to, to go on and God says, yeah, but I, I'm going to have you take Syria out. And instead they have a treaty with Syria. And God says, that wasn't the plan. The idea was for you to, to take Syria. And you got a little bit of stuff that Israel brought down in the Ramah. I was going to give you all this stuff from Syria. That'd be even better. He says, you let them go. They said, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. History is lost a lot of times. We've lost some of the things that have been done in history. If, you are, if your children are going to the public schools, be, especially, be watchful of all the courses they take, but especially of history. Because not only are they not teaching all of history, they have altered it tremendously to the point that they are not teaching what happened, but what they want you to think happened. They have taken some of the founders of our country and made them into evil people, made them into not, not as good. They've taken some of the situations that happened. They took Thanksgiving and they have made it into a completely different holiday than what it was. It was nothing like they wanted. They teach your kids. It is in, um, in school. It's, it's, it's become very different. A lot of the founding fathers, they have tried to take and make as if they were not God-fearing. Most of the early Congress were all God-fearing people. They sought after God. They had prayer meetings. And I don't mean they opened with prayer where somebody got up and prayed. I mean they had prayer meetings. They had a couple hours of prayer meeting before they even started. They'd study the Bible and they'd get stuff. (laughs) They didn't just read the Bible. They studied the Bible and they got stuff out of it. It was a... It was good, but see, they're altering the history of these things. 
I don't know. Some of you folks may know the, um, the, the guy on the radio I like to listen to a lot, uh, the name of Rush Limbaugh. He came up with some children's books on history. And he went back and he researched them and he got all the, the nitty-gritty details. And his first one he put out was on um, the, the, when the pilgrims first came. And he's already got a second one that's going to go out and it's going to talk about the, um, the, the revolution and things. And he's dug, dug in there and he's gotten some parts of history in there. It, it's, it's actually pretty, uh, pretty neat what he's done. And the whole idea is it's, uh, it's written for like middle-aged, uh, middle school age children. And uh, he's put some real fun characters in it. Make history fun. And so now the, the show is uh, being caught up with some kids calling in, little kids are calling in, you know, telling them how they like, like this, the story and all that. But you, you gotta, if we don't teach kids this kind of history, what God did at the founding of this country, it's going to be removed. They have completely removed how much George Washington relied on God for every battle he fought for the words he used to encourage his men, how much time he spent in prayer. They have removed the parts that he was a large target. He was over six foot tall on a white horse and was constantly in front of his men on the battlefield and bullets would pass him by and not hit him. They have removed those things. They don't teach about how God protected him, how God protected people from these things. They don't talk about the battles, how they prayed, how they sought after God, about what to do. And what, how they followed after God. They don't teach that. But they should. God was very instrumental in the founding of this country. And if we don't teach our kids how much he was instrumental in the founding of this country, God can be removed from it. I've told a number of people, I always like to go over this, they teach that our country was founded for religious freedom. And that is false teaching. The United States of America was not founded for religious freedom. The United States of America was founded for freedom to worship God. That is a big difference. They want to give you the idea that every religion is free and, and should be worshipped over here. That is not their idea. Their idea was they wanted to worship God in a way that was different from the Church of England. And the Church of England oppressed them for it. So they said, we want to go to a place where we can worship God the way that we feel that we should. And they came to this country and set it up for freedom to worship God. Not religious freedom. Not freedom to worship whatever you want. But the freedom to worship God. Make sure you teach your kids the importance. Make sure you go back over it yourself. It's amazing how many adults don't know history. Don't know what God did for this country to get it going. Don't know how interracial all the things were that brought about the greatness of this country. That it was not just one race of people that helped out. It was an interaction of all kinds of races of people and all kinds of people from different places who came up with the solutions. It was just astounding what had gone on. And God was in it. Don't you ever let God or people remove God from what he has done. Guard it. Verse 8 again. When the Ethiopians and the Lubin, not a huge, not, not a huge army, they were, they, were, they were so many people in this army that they couldn't even count them. They're just all over the, all over the, the field. They were afraid of that. But God said, did I, not, did I not deliver them into you? You were small. They were great. I delivered them into your hand. Why are you afraid? Because we forget what God has done. We then become fearful of what is in the future. Don't forget what God has done. You need to constantly go over it. That's why you need to have those books where you write down stuff that God has done so you can go back over and look over it. It's not only important to see what God has done in the Bible. It's also important for you to know what God has done in your life and not forget about it. 
That's why every week we go over praise reports. You want to know what God has done in your life. (laughs) So other people can see it too. What is God doing? If God has come through for you in the past, he will come through for you in the future. You need to be encouraged. And you need to stand with it. It's easy to get discouraged and to forget what God has done. And they forgot what God had done. At least the way they acted, they did. They forgot what God is. Well, we need to get a treaty with Syria so that Basha doesn't come down here and beat us up. So they did that. Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. They're gone. That one is that that ship is gone. It has sailed. You're not getting that one back. You could have had all their stuff. Now you're not going to have any of it. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubin not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now, here's a verse you all know. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Whose what? Heart is loyal. Not whose actions are pure. Whose heart is loyal to him. Again, I'm going to say this to you. You can have a loyal heart and imperfect actions. David did. Asa did. Others did. You can have a perfect heart, a loyal heart, and have imperfect actions. Stop trying to clean up the actions and get to the heart. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Not just Israel. He's got his eyes out in the whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. He desires to show himself strong on your behalf. He desires it. He wants to. He's looking. Who can I show myself strong to? Not whose actions are perfect, but whose heart is loyal. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Remember the chapter 15? There was no war all those days until. Well, this is until. He starts off this message because you have. Many times there are things going on in our life that we were the catalyst. We started it. But we blame God for it. When they start having wars, we could say, well, God's fault. God's not doing what he did before. God's allowing these things to happen. No, because you have relied on the king of Syria. It's on you. I put in your outline this. More things have begun with us than we know. More things in our life have begun with us than we know. We just pass it off and blame it on other people. Purposes were not realized. There have been purposes in our lives. There have been purposes in the lives of other people that were never realized because of something they did to detour them from the plan of God. The purpose of God was that Syria was going down. And Syria was always a thorn in the flesh for Israel. Right now they got a treaty. But they've always been a thorn in the flesh for them. And God says, we're going to take them down. And now it didn't happen. As we said, history is too often forgotten. 
or not taught at all. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put it in prison. Isn't this the way it is? I mean, if you want to correct something, we get angry. If a preacher gets on TV and he starts talking about something, starts reading your mail, you get angry at him, turn the channel. <laughs> we get mad. Angry was angry with the seer. Who should he have been mad at? He should have been mad at himself. He should have said, man, I did this. I blew this. I, I shouldn't have done it. But it like David getting mad at the seer who came to him and says, you're the man. David didn't get mad at the seer. David got mad at himself. I have sinned, he said. But Asa, no, he got angry with the seer. He put him in prison. And he was enraged at him because of this. He was mad. It's all his fault. If he hadn't come here and said that, we wouldn't be having this problem. If he hadn't come here and pointed this out, we wouldn't be having this, this issue. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. When leaders oppress people, it's not a good thing. There's a wrong attitude that's come up on the inside of them. Leaders are supposed to help and support people. Asa began to suppress, to oppress some of the people. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and of Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. It's only a few years after this incident. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet his, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. In his disease, how many times have we been in trouble and we're mad with God because something happened that we didn't think should have happened and we're mad with him, we're not going to go after him. I'm not going to seek the Lord, that didn't do me any good, that's not helping me out. Mm-mm. He became diseased in his feet. And his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. It is not wrong to seek after physicians. It is wrong to not seek the Lord. That's where the problem came in. He sought them instead. You can seek both. You can go after God and go after the doctors. And ask God to have the doctors know what's going on. That's all okay. But the problem comes in when you seek one without the other. He sought the Lord. He sought the physicians, but he did not seek the Lord. Why? Because his, his attitude was being changed. He's got a wrong attitude. I don't think this should be happening. I don't think it should go this way. So Asa rested with his fathers, and he died in the 41st year of his reign. He rested with his fathers, and he died in the 41st year of his reign. So he only had the disease for about two years. And whatever it was, it sounds like it killed him. You imagine having a disease for two years and being so hard that you're not going to seek after God? You're going to seek after a way that's not bringing about help? But you see, he had a, he had a reaction to this. I put this down here at the, the bottom in your, uh, toward, or towards the end of your outline. That too often we don't respond, we react. Too often we don't respond, we react. Now, if, I, if we had somebody here who was uh, into martial arts. And they knew some of the martial arts and they knew some of the things were going on with that. And uh, if you were to uh, come up to that person and you were to throw a punch at them or to do something offensive, uh, be offensive towards them in a way to cause them harm, most people would react to it. They would either duck, they would cover their face, they would squeal, they would cry. <laughs> they, would, they would react to it. But that's not necessarily going to do you any good, is it? But a person who has martial arts, if you see that coming, they don't react. They respond. 
If you don't drive that punch to them, they deflect it, and then they come in with something of their own, and they put you down on the ground. So you meant to attack, and now you're down on the ground if they know what they're doing. I'm not one of those people. If you do that to me, I probably wouldn't have that kind of response. <laughs> I'm not trained to, to do that sort of thing, but some people are. I mean, what's who's some of those guys that are on the TV that uh, I can't even think of their names now? Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is one. Don't throw a punch at Chuck Norris unless you are prepared for what's going to come because he will not react. He will not get upset. He will not cry. He will not cover his face. He will take you out. <laughs> He's not afraid of you, uh, of you doing that at all. He's like, you know, come on, let's go. He's, he's, he's ready to respond. You have to be ready to respond, not react. When, when our country was uh, way back when I was going into college, it was during the Jimmy Carter era. That's when I first got involved in the, anything political in the, in the country was under Jimmy Carter. And uh, horrible presidency. I don't know what you thought about it, but my opinion was it was one of the worst presidencies we've had, at least in my lifetime. It was, it was bad. It's not that he was a bad guy. He just was not prepared. He was inept, as far as a leader was concerned, to run a country. He's probably fine to run a lot of other things, but not the country. And so the biggest crisis we had, of course, remember the Iranian hostage crisis where they took our hostages and they held them for, what was it, 444 days, I think it was total? Somewhere in that area, they had our hostages for 444 days or some kind of number like that. And we did nothing. Or actually, they finally did decide we ought to do something, and it was really bad. It got messed up, and it just didn't go well. Well, that was Jimmy Carter's thing. He reacted. He didn't respond. He would say things. He would condemn it. He would put it down. But that's not what you needed to do. Then Ronald Reagan came on the scene. And when Ronald Reagan came on the scene, if people did that... You were going down. If you took our people hostage, we're coming after you. And suddenly people began to be having pride in the country again. Under Jimmy Carter, we had what was called a misery index. How long has it been since you heard the misery index? It was an index to let people know how miserable conditions were. We didn't need it until then. But it was so bad during that time because inflation was so high. Double-digit inflation. We haven't seen that since then. Double-digit inflation. Unemployment was high. Interest rates for your just incredible um, housing was going down. It was just everything was bad. The economy was going down. It was really, really a bad situation. And beside that, people didn't feel good about the country because no one respected us because we wouldn't respond. All we would do is react. We would put them down. We would, uh, but we're going to go to the United Nations and talk about you. But when you have a president in there who is going to respond, who's going to put somebody in place, and say, if you touch our people, we will come after you. That's what you need to do. Otherwise, people aren't afraid of you, and they don't. Now, God, what happens if you touch one of God's people? What does God say? That's not nice. Stop it. That's not what God does. What does God say he will do to people who harm his? I'm, I'm coming after you. <laughs> I am coming after you. You picked the... You pick the Battle with me. When the people of Israel came after Moses, what did God do? <laughs> You're coming after my boy right here. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that. I'm coming after you. He opened up the ground, swallowed some of them up. He had fire come out from heaven and burned some of them up. These are his own people. They came after Moses. You come after my boy. You're coming after me. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me. And then they respond. God does not react. 
God does not get upset. God does not cry. If you mess with his people, what does God do? He sends stuff. He has sent angels, and they've messed with people. He has sent plagues. When they were messing with uh, his people in, in Egypt, what did God do? Now stop that, Pharaoh. I told you, let them go. No. He says, all right, if you don't want to let them go, fine, we're going to send this on you. <laughs> and one plague came. And then a second plague came. And a third, I mean, people are dying. Things are going on. God responds. We need to learn, folks. We don't need to react to stuff. You need to respond. Too often we're trained to react. There was a time, and think about this, when the, when the snow was, was here. Uh, way back in the 80s, I was a youth pastor. And after church, there were some people who did not have a ride, and I was giving them a ride home. It was uh, one of those years. I don't know what year it was, but it was one of those years that we had so much snow, it was piled up to the left and piled up to the right so that you could not see when you're driving in the car over the mounds of snow that were on this. On this. It was a lot of snow. It was a lot of snow. Again, I don't know what year it was, but it was, I know there's a lot of snow that's there. And some snow had fallen of, of late, and so there was still some on the, on the driveway, on the road. And we're going on down the road. It wasn't, uh, we weren't going super slow. It wasn't that kind of a, of a weather thing. So as we're going along, the, uh, there was a truck or something that came by the other way, and they hit a whole bunch of slush. And it came up, and it covered my window completely. I mean, I could not see a thing. There was no visible anything. It was gone. And, you know, you have cars coming the other way. You're on a road. The road is not straight. The road winds and twists, and suddenly you can't see. Well, out of my mouth comes, oh, I can't see. <laughs> that was it. I just said, oh, I can't see. I flipped on my wipers. It wiped the stuff off, and we kept on going. And uh, w- later on, after we got done, one of the persons came up to me and says, all you said when we couldn't see a thing out of it was, oh, I can't see. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. You, you can react and you can, you can squeal and you can, you can squawk and you can do whatever. But that's not going to help your situation out. What you got to do is you got to respond. You got to take care of the thing. And, and fortunately, that time I did, I can't say that I've always done it all that well, but that particular time uh, <laughs> I, I was able to do that. And we, a, a response is what you need. You need to respond to make the change, to make something happen. You can think of it in just about any area of your life. You can either react or you can respond. If you're on a diet, you can see the pizza and you can react. Oh, I wish I could have some pizza. Or you could respond. I'm going to have some yogurt instead. And you can go out there and get the yogurt. You can make a, a deliberate response and say, I'm going in this direction. There's a difference between reacting to a situation and responding to a situation. A reaction does not help you out. A response does. Now, if you say, well, I would have eaten the pizza anyway, that's fine. I heard a comedian one time, they were talking about the differences between skinny people and not as skinny people. And they said, when a skinny person, or when, a, when a not so skinny person who desires to be skinnier sees a pizza, they eat carrot sticks instead. And so they eat a bunch of carrot sticks, and he says, you know how many carrot sticks it takes to stop the hankering for a pizza? It's a lot of carrot sticks. And so they eat a lot of carrot sticks to try and get rid of that craving for the pizza, and then in the end, you end up eating the pizza anyway. What's a skinny person do? They have a hunger, hunger for pizza. They go out and they get the pizza. That's it. They don't mess with carrot sticks. They don't do anything like that. They don't fight it off. They just go out there, and they have the pizza, and they go on. And that's a, it's a different men- mentality. You've got to get your mentality such that you don't react, you respond. 
Don't react. Respond. When somebody comes and says something to you that's not so nice, don't react to it. Make a, make a deliberate response. I am not going to be, I'm going to, we got to do that. Sometimes we're reacting when we ought to be responding. Asa should have responded to the word of the prophet and made a change. He did not. He reacted. And reacted against the prophet. He reacted against some of the people. Probably some of the people he oppressed were people who said, you know what, you ought to be listening to this guy. He, he, he was right. And he probably put them in prison and probably oppressed them. You only oppress the ones that are coming against you. Probably. No other reason to, to do the rest of them. Too often, we don't respond, we react. Asa became angry at the seer. But don't. Don't get, into, don't get into a place where you are trying to react. If you react, you're changing your attitude. If you change your attitude, your heart is going to change. If your heart changes, you're going to go from a loyal heart, a perfect heart, to one that is not loyal, one that is not perfect. And once the heart begins to change... We, gen- we generally tend to follow the same paths. You've got to keep the heart right. And here it says he oppressed some of the people at that time. Now, what makes a perfect heart? What makes a loyal heart? What is it that makes this up? Asa, he had a, it said he was loyal and perfect heart all his days. Does that include his last couple of years? It would seem like it, huh? Even when his actions were not always what God wanted... God still said his heart was loyal. His heart was, King James puts it, perfect. So here's the question we need to ask. What makes a perfect heart? Wouldn't you want to, have that, wouldn't you want to know what the answer to that question is? What makes a perfect heart? If I can understand what makes a perfect heart, then I can keep myself in the right area. Now I'm going to go political on you one more time here on this thing. How many... I, 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 I watch the Republican Party probably more than the Democratic Party simply because the Republican Party is the one that generally is for family values, generally, not always. They have gotten off it on their own. But I'm bringing that one up just for this. Somehow the Republican Party was sold a bill of goods that what they needed to do was to go after, because if, if you know the makeup of America is broken down like this, something around 40% Democrat, 40% Republican, and 20% Independent. That, it's rough. It's not exact, but it's, you know, it's rough. And so you, they assumed that the Democrats are going to get the 40% Democrats and the Republicans are going to get the 40% uh, Republican. So what they have come in and they have done was they have convinced the Republican Party, go after the 20%, the independents. If you go after the 20% of the independents, you can win the election. Well, what they don't tell them, <laughs> I can have an idea who's been telling them this kind of stuff. What they don't tell them is when you go after the 20% and you become less family values, less, anti, uh, or less pro-life, less all these other things, uh, when you become less of that to become more what the so-called independents want, what happens to the 40%? You lose. So what happens, is, it's, it's really strange. You have a whole political party that has gone after the vote of 20% of the people while the other party is going after 40. Is that smart? Depends on what side of the fence you're on. <laughs> if you want the Democrats to win, then it's a real smart strategy. If you want the Republicans to win, then it doesn't work out so well. Here's where we bring this up. They have got people going after a goal, sold them on the thing that if you go after this goal, you will win. I don't know how much you followed the last election, but uh, Romney made a... Made a um, killing, so to speak, 
in the independence. He won more independence than any other president had been in the past and lost the election. Why? Because his own base didn't show up. Because they weren't going after the things that brought them in as strong. So you've got a whole party that is going after thinking, I have to go after that 20%, not realizing they lose the 40% on the way, or at least some of the 40% on the way, and they end up losing the elections. Here's, here's why I want you to have that in mind. The enemy, Satan, has sold Christians on the fact that all you need to do is get your actions right when God says you need to get your heart right. We have gone after the wrong thing. If a newborn believer comes into the church and they're cussing and swearing and smelling like cigarettes and we find alcohol in their breath at times and they're not dressed real nice and they're not reading about what do we what do we focus on? We focus on the things that they're doing. What should we be focusing on? Their heart. And what happens with a lot of new Christians who come into the family of God get so much focused on their actions They get discouraged and they leave. And the enemy has sold us on this thing, be concerned about actions. You know what? You can be a Christian and cuss up a storm. Boy, it got quiet. You can be a Christian and smoke cigarettes. You can be a Christian and be in the bar every Friday night. You can be a Christian and do all those things. Not a very strong one. Those things are going to pull you down. But you can be a Christian and do all those things. What you need to do is get your heart right. If you focus on getting your heart right, your actions will line up eventually. They will eventually line up. But you've got to get your heart right. We, as mature Christians, when new Christians come in, we've got to focus on not their actions, but on getting their heart right. We get their heart right, the rest of that stuff will be taken care of. We've got to do the same thing with us. The devil has got us so focused on actions that sometimes we become discouraged and just say, well, I can't act right. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit trying to be good. And we quit following after God the way that we're supposed to. He's got us focused on the wrong thing. We're not focused on the right thing. We've got to focus on what's right. What makes a perfect heart? If we understand the recipe for a perfect heart, if we understand the recipe for a loyal heart, if we understand... What it takes to get a heart like Asa had, like David had, like Moses had, like Joshua had, like Caleb had, like all these other people who had hearts that were this way. How did they get a heart that was like that? How can I get it? If I can focus on those things that get me there, then we'll be in good shape. There's a whole lot of things that float around for you know people they always want to change what they are. If they're overweight, they want to get underweight. If they're underweight, they want to get heavy. If we're trying to get lighter or heavy. We're always trying to go one direction or another. Very seldom are we happy with the way we are. We always want to change something. We want to change our, uh, our hair. We want to change our uh, complexion. We want to change our body shape, uh, all sorts of stuff. We're always trying, looking to change something. But then what happens is we get in a course for which it doesn't help it. Now, it's, just, it's, it's a hobby of mine to just study on some things in the area of exercise. I just love reading articles on exercise. I know more about exercise than I need to apply, than I care to apply. Because, again, I don't, I don't exercise because of weight. I don't exercise because of health. I exercise because it's fun. It's the only reason I do it. If it stops being fun, I'll quit. 
I don't care about all the others, other parts of it. But I know about I know what things people are do for exercise that they don't do. That people are working hard in the area of exercise and are not losing weight. And I know exactly why they don't lose weight. I could tell you right now, a whole lot of reasons why. They just they don't they're not doing it. They're focused on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the wrong thing. How many people have ever jogged for the purpose of losing weight? You can jog for the purpose of losing weight and never lose any. You can also jog for the purpose of losing weight and lose a ton. Just that you have to know what, the, what it is that you've got to do. We're focused on the wrong thing. I've got to find out what is it? What is the recipe for a perfect heart? And that's what we need to go after. Have you ever been to a restaurant? Been to somebody's house and they made something? And, oh, that is so good. So many of the guys were over there, Dave's on, uh, on Friday, and so many of the guys were talking about the cornbread. And they do have good cornbread there. They, they, they do. There's good cornbread all over. The, they're not the only place that has good cornbread, but they have a good cornbread recipe. Whatever it is they do, they have a good one. And it's, it's, it's good. And, uh, you know, you like to fight. How, how, how can I get the recipe? If I can get the recipe, I can make it at home. Right? If you're over at somebody's house and they made a dessert, they made a meal, and you're, can I have that recipe? I want to make that at home. If you're at a restaurant, you're out of luck. They're not going to give you the recipe because they want you to come out to the restaurant again and buy it. So they aren't going to give you the recipe. But if we had the recipe, I could make it at home. Of course, if you made it at home, you'd have it all the time and it wouldn't be special anymore and you probably wouldn't like it as much. But that's what we think. That's what we want to do. We need to know, what is the recipe for a loyal heart? What is the recipe for a perfect heart? If I can find out what that recipe is, then I'm in good shape. And that's why we're going to overflow into a second week. Because we're going to spend some time. I want you to have the recipe. I want you to know how can I have a perfect heart. I want you to first off see that you need it. And then we're going to go back on over there and we're going to find out what are the ingredients. If the, if the Bible tells us that Asa had a loyal heart, but this one did not, we ought to be able to tell how we can get it. I ought to be able to figure it out. And it's not actions because the one guy's actions he did right, but his heart was not Loyal. And the other guy, some of his actions were not right, but his heart was loyal. What is it that makes the loyal heart? I got to find out what is the recipe for this thing. What is the thing that will do that? I put in your outline this. Too often we strive for perfection in actions instead of loyalty of heart. We strive for perfection in actions instead of loyalty of heart. The enemy pushes us this way to pursue a different goal than the word shows us. He wants you to go after a different goal. He wants you to go in a different direction. If he can get you to go after a different goal, you will not accomplish the objective that you set out to do. In doing so, we fail to accomplish God's objective. God's objective is for you to walk in all his ways. How he's going to accomplish that is to change your heart is to get you into a place where you have a loyal heart, a perfect heart, even though your actions are not quite perfect. And so in the Word of God, He gives us the clues, He gives us the things that we need to know to get us to that place where we can have a perfect and a loyal heart. Understand this, God does not tell us, this one had a loyal heart, this one does not have a loyal heart, without telling you how to get it. God wants you to have one. God would generally set the standard for the kings by those who had a loyal heart and those who did not. Certainly the standard would be there for us as well. 
How can I walk in? How can I have a perfect heart? Would you all stand up with me? Father, in your word, you have shown us the importance to walk in this life with a loyal heart. Father, we want to have that. We want to go after you with everything that we've got. Be more focused on our heart than we are our actions, knowing that our actions will line up. But what we first must focus on is our heart. So, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in this, that we do and we will have a perfect heart, one that is loyal to you, one that will stand the test of time. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have some praise reports. Some praise reports get turned in in the back. No praise reports today at all, huh? Oh, no, we got to see some papers floating around. Is our uh, handheld not working, Bruce? It's what? Okay. Yellow? Ah. All right. Are we working on some people are writing up their praise reports, so I guess I'll have to wait for just. how to drive in the snow. We did a complete 180 coming down County Line Road and just kind of smashed on the other side there a little bit, but it was good. All was good. So Allie actually called us. They, Nikolai and, and um, Alyssa were on their way down, and they said, be careful on County Line Road. It's just a sheet of ice. So we, or coming, not, not County Line Road, on um, Street Road. Street Road. And so I thought, oh, well, we'll just go down County Line Road. Well, that was even worse. So we detoured off and Got back onto Street Road and uh, had that little fun this morning. He responded. He didn't react. That's right. There you go. <laughs> Mama didn't react either. Oh, yeah? I was pretty good on that. If right. I asked God, him, would he say the same thing? That's report. <laughs> <laughs> Mama did not react. Okay, Chelsea has a praise report. She said, God saved me from two accidents this week due to the bad weather. I think our, I heard about our those. angels yeah. are, are on assignment. Let me tell you. Yay, and Miss Gladys is back in her home. Hallelujah. Her new home. (laughs) Old home made new. Yeah, yeah. And um, Bobby, uh, I'll I'll just share this too. Bobby is doing very well. Um, He's home after his surgery, and that all went well. They found, you know, I'm finding that as much as, you know, the doctors can only do what they can do. And I think that the scripture that I keep dwelling on this morning is the one where he sought the physicians instead of seeking God. Um, You know, the physicians can do only what they can do. They're people. But God knows the answer. And, you know, Bobby had MRIs. He had tests. He had all these things done. But they didn't see this. When they went in for surgery, they actually found a cyst on his spine, which was pushing on it and causing the pain and causing all the disruption. Well, all that doesn't show up on these other tests that they do. You know, so when you go and you seek the Lord on things, that's like another testament. When I had my, my knee surgery, they didn't see the problem that was in there. The doctors only told me it's arthritis. And I said, no, it's not. When they got in, they found out, guess what? It wasn't. So, you know, the doctors can do what they can do. Um, but Nicole says, thank God for all the protection through this bad weather, also for surrounding me with great people each day. Amen. And have another healing testimony. Hallelujah. Ethel says, healing for my knee. Knee is healed, and God has um, was that provided wisdom on what to do to strengthen it for the future. Amen. Amen. There you go. Another testimony. Seek the Lord, and he'll tell you. Hallelujah. Here comes another one. Oh, I like this. Keep them coming. There's more. There's more. <laughs> 
Um, Daryl said God has provided work due to the storm damage that has occurred and um, oh, removing down trees. Praise God. Amen. It's always work. Amen. Amen. 